finding new ways to connect with people to ward off things like social isolation, depression, anxiety, thinking creatively about how to get our, our needs met, whether practically or, or um, emotionally. Welcome to this COVID-19 special edition podcast brought to you by Kessler Foundation. Social distancing is becoming the new norm in the days of COVID-19. While quarantining is proving to be challenging for many Americans, there may be additional social struggles faced by individuals with multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury. In this podcast, we discuss with Dr. Helen Genova how problems with social cognition may be exacerbated during quarantine and how to reduce the impact of these difficulties on relationships in the household. Dr. Erica Weber also provides insight into how individuals with multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury may be feeling socially isolated right now and how to find social outlets and resources to improve mental health in this stressful time. Listen in as Nikki Miller, our social media specialist, introduces our guests. During the COVID-19 pandemic, people are advised to practice social distancing and staying at home to flatten a curve. These practices offer minimal contact with other people and the outside world and can be particularly challenging for individuals with multiple sclerosis and a traumatic brain injury. Today, our podcast focuses on how social distancing measures and social isolation can affect individuals with MS and a TBI. We open up our panel discussion to Dr. Helen Genova and co-host Dr. Erica Weber, who are experts in the field. Dr. Genova is the Assistant Director of the Center for Neuropsychology and Neuroscience Research at Kessler Foundation, who researches social cognition and emotion recognition in brain disorders. Dr. Weber is a research scientist and clinical neuropsychologist in the Center for Traumatic Brain Injury. Welcome, doctors, and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having us, Nikki. Dr. Weber, I'll let you take the lead in this, but I wanted to start off by asking, Dr. Genova, can you explain the symptoms of multiple sclerosis and a traumatic brain injury and why times like this can be challenging for those individuals? A lot of my research focuses on social cognition. So we know that people with multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury can have a whole host of symptoms, whether they be physical symptoms or cognitive, which means mental symptoms. Um, forgetfulness, slowed thinking, um, et cetera. But one of the things that I focus on is something called social cognition. And um, we think that not everybody, but there is a significant number of people in, with both multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury who have these social cognition deficits. Now, that's really interesting, Dr. Genova, that there's this population that might be experiencing maybe more of more distress in this already pretty distressing time during the pandemic. What do you think these social cognition deficits might look like in this population, especially right now? What are they dealing with? So, so when I say social cognition, what I really mean is any mental skill that's involved in processing the emotions and feelings of others. And it you literally are using these skills whenever you are with other people. So let's just say you're invited to a party and you walk into a room and you see people in the room and, and there's one person and they're smiling at you and, and you process in your mind that they're happy to see you. So that you're using your social cognition to understand how they're feeling. But then let's say you go into another room and you see that someone is angry and then someone else is crying. So in your mind, you're processing, uh-oh, you know, something bad just happened here. Someone is sad. Someone is angry. So 
So all of those skills, those are all social cognition skills, and we're using them all the time. So something like a pandemic where we're all forced to be in our homes, that is really going to cause potentially some difficulty. If you're already having problems with social cognition, and then you're forced to be inside all the time, and maybe you are actually interacting with the same people over and over again, one could imagine that those problems are really going to um, start to take a toll on relationships. Right. That sounds like it would be pretty heightened if you're maybe having some difficulty perceiving what other people are either feeling or thinking. And now uh, you're kind of in, in the same environment with the same person. And of course, going through a lot of thoughts and emotions that we all are right now that, that may kind of squirrel a bit out of control. Uh, so, uh, wow. So, so do you think that this has to do with how people are um, maybe seeing emotions on a face or is it a bit more what they're, um, how they're perceiving uh, other people to be thinking? So I think it's it's really everything. So so let's say you are now um, living with your you know your family members, and so it sort of forces us to be more connected and to spend a lot of time with each other. That can be both a wonderful thing. I mean, you get to spend time with your family in a way that you you never used to. Um, but it also can uh, yeah, but it can it can definitely, like you said, heighten some opportunities for um, some interpersonal difficulties. So you know when some of the things that we use in social cognition are what's called facial affect recognition. So if you are looking at someone's face um, and you understand based on their facial features, and how they're moving the muscles in their face, um, that, that that person is sad, like I said before, that person's angry, or in the case of social, social isolation, that person is getting on your nerves. Wow, and I bet that's even even more of a problem these days because, well, first of all, I, I know that a lot of people are using uh, things like sarcasm and uh, humor to be able to cope in these difficult times. So you're requiring a lot more of those subtle social cognition skills. And then also people are just more stressed. And um, when people are more stressed and have a lot more on their mind, it's really difficult to think clearly. So I bet that's a lot for uh, a normal, healthy brain to, to consider and uh, and being able to make those judgments correctly. So if someone already was having some difficulty with that, I can imagine this might be even more of a challenging time. So it sounds like you're saying that if people are noticing increased tensions and maybe people being a little bit more um, prickly than usual, I guess is a way to say it, um, it may be that there are these difficulties in social cognition that are really coming to bear in, in this situation. So what do you think is a good way for people who are experiencing this to, to try to mitigate these, uh, these challenges in their household? I really recommend that now is the time to just be very open and honest um, with your loved ones who you are uh, isolating with or you're, you're inside with. You know, now may be the time to say to someone, listen, um, I'm just having a really hard day. 
I don't mean to snap at you. I'm just stressed. I'm anxious. I'm trying to get stuff done and I can't seem to get anything done. And I'm just having a really hard time. Um, rather than trying to rely on just understanding other people by looking at their faces or trying to assume you understand how other people are feeling, I, I feel like now is really the time to just, just come right out and tell each other how you're feeling so that you're not trying to guess and you're not trying to use some of these skills when you're already exhausted, stressed out, tired, you know, um, and just, just like I said, just to be honest with each other and, and, and to really, this is the time to open up the lines of communication. That's a, that's a really good point and probably a generally good practice because it's, it sometimes is really difficult in, in clinical psychology, we talk a lot about trying not to be a mind reader and how that can uh, end up having some problems because you might make some assumptions about what people are thinking and you may be wrong, but that leads us down a whole rabbit hole of new areas of uh, where we've made, made assumptions upon assumptions. So by directly communicating or directly asking people, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Um, or, or as you suggested to say, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having some trouble right now. Um, I'm feeling sad or I'm, I'm feeling frustrated. And um, I think that's a great way to at least keep those lines of communication open. And this way, everyone's a bit more on the same playing field rather than playing that guessing game. Exactly. I know. I, I think it's really, really critical right now. And, and also just to realize that if you're feeling stressed, probably your loved ones are too. And so some of these interpersonal issues you may be feeling are just a question of everybody feeling a heightened level of stress. And, and to give yourself a break and to kind of forgive yourself as well as the other person, you know, if you snap at each other, maybe just say, hey, you know what, of course, we're going to snap at each other. We've been only looking at each other for the last two weeks and nobody else, you know, so to so to maybe just kind of forgive yourselves for those moments and say, this is hard. Everybody feels this way. And um, and let's just try to get through this as best we can. And, you know, and take a walk, go outside, enjoy the nice weather and, and not not you know, worry so much about, about these interpersonal issues. Right. And, um, and I know you've done some work with uh, mindfulness meditation. I wonder if that may be, be a good tool for people to use right now in order to um, be able to, when, when you're saying to, they can maybe take that break or acknowledge those emotions, this may be something that um, would be really important right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that mindfulness is a really wonderful tool that sort of anybody can use um, so mindfulness is really just focusing your attention to the present moment. So um, you're not worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not thinking about what you you know said yesterday and, and a mistake that you might have made or what's going to happen in six months. You're really focusing on right now, this very moment, and just paying attention to it. So, um, so something that everyone can do to practice mindfulness is just to take a moment take deep breaths in and out, focus only on your breathing, on the way that your body feels, um, on the sounds that you're hearing right now in the current moment. Um, you know, if you're drinking a cup of coffee to, to sit there and feel the cup of coffee in your hand and to feel its warmth. And if you're outside to, to listen to the sounds of nature and, and it's really why I think it's so important is right now there are so many external things that we're worried about 
but so many of them are not within our control. You know, the average person can't do anything to help this pandemic end any sooner um, other than what they're already doing, which is being in their home, you know? So rather than watching the news and connecting to, to Facebook and trying to figure out where to get the next roll of toilet paper and, oh no, there's no meat at, at the, uh, the shop, right? To just say to yourself, you know what? These are things I have no control over. But what I do have control over is where I'm going to focus my attention. And to just be present in the moment can do wonders for your uh, psychological well-being. To just say, I'm going to let all of that go, all the anxiety, all the stress. I'm going to let it go. And I'm just going to focus on my body um, and how it feels right now in this present moment. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Um, and mindfulness is is something that people work on for a long time to in order to kind of learn how to do it and practice it. So uh, it's it's definitely, it's not, not the easiest, but uh, the nice thing I think is it's getting um, a lot more, um, a lot more attention right now. And, and there's a lot of really good online resources. Um, and um, I think even on YouTube, there's a number of, um, of clips that walk you through mindfulness practice. So, so there's, um, a lot of resources available. And I would just say, you know, it's, it takes people a little bit to get the hang of it. So if you find it a little bit frustrating at first, um, the, well, the whole point of mindfulness is that you um, forgive yourself and move on and just try again. So non-judgmental um, responses and, you know, don't beat yourself up for having a, having a challenging time being able to focus on the present moment because there is a lot competing for our attention right now. But um, it sounds like from what you're saying that the, the benefits will really, really pay off and, um, and make it worth the, the challenge. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think, um, you know, one thing that you can do, sort of like anybody can do, is to go outside and to just name, you know, five things that you can hear, five things that you can see, five things that you can smell, and really just tuning into what your senses are telling you, as opposed to what your anxiety is telling you, what the news is telling you, what social media is telling you, but really to just focus on your body in the present moment. And, um, you know, like I said, there's so much that we can't control, but this is something that we can control and it's free and you don't need a specialist there with you. You don't need to, I mean, there are classes available online that you could take to help you. But like you said, there's lots of wonderful YouTube videos. I really recommend um, videos uh, by John Kabat-Zinn, who um, started the program Mindfulness Stress Reduction. He has some really wonderful videos online. And, you know, as you were talking about this um, and how mindfulness is really helpful for recognizing that it's important to be in the present moment because there's a lot that you may not be able to control, it dawned on me that it's that this is often the, uh, can be something that people with multiple sclerosis and TBI are very used to, to dealing with where with multiple sclerosis, you don't know necessarily what symptoms are going to be exacerbated, uh, the next day or when your next relapse might be or how long it might last. And with traumatic brain injury, you may have, you may be facing new challenges on a daily basis. 
So this sounds like, on one hand, something that uh, these populations might be even more adept at um, than people who maybe have had a little bit easier of a go of it. Um, so this is something that I think is absolutely in the wheelhouse of these populations. And probably they could teach us a, a good thing or two about how to be able to cope in situations where you may not be able to control what's going on around you. Yes, definitely. I, I totally agree. I think that um, any population right now can, can utilize these techniques. Dr. Weber, I'd like to talk a little bit about social isolation. Social isolation can be harmful and is linked to depression and anxiety. Can you discuss how this COVID-19 pandemic can affect individuals with MS and TBI in this regard? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we've, we've covered, there's two ends of this, this um, all of these social distancing measures really kind of create two camps of problems um, or challenges, shall we say, uh, that in one sense, while you're spending a lot of time with people, that may create its own set of challenges on the other hand, you're not being able to engage socially like you normally would. And this could be really problematic for folks um, who are susceptible to depression and anxiety. And we know that people with multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury tend to have higher rates of these sorts of psychiatric problems than the general population. But this is also something that um, people um, are dealing with across the board right now. So the name of the game seems to be finding ways to scratch that social itch and become connected with people in ways that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do so before. So how do we still be able to be our, our normal social beings in this strange situation that we find ourselves? So this, this could be um, challenging if you are unable to find ways to to think outside of the box and outside of the, the confines of your own home. But thankfully, we're, we're in this great age of uh, having a lot of technology um, available to us that really allows for much easier social uh, connectedness than in previous generations. So um, a number of things that people have been doing in order to ward off those sorts of feelings are connecting with people over things like video chat, you know, uh, whether it's one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations or, um, you know, uh, uh, groups, uh, there's a lot of good uh, platforms, be it um, a couple I could think of are things like FaceTime or Zoom um, that allow multiple people to be engaged in one conversation at a time. So if you usually met a friend down the block for a cup of tea, have a cup of tea over video chat. I know it's not the same, but it's some way to at least be able to, to remain connected. Um, other, other options are um, looking for uh, the support systems that you used to have, be it um, support groups, let's say, uh, for particularly for MS and, and TBI populations. A lot of people rely on their monthly support groups to be able to discuss challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. And we know that those social support networks are really impactful and really helpful um, in, in order to manage and manage your disease and um, be able to feel like you're not alone in this fight. Well, a lot of the organizations, uh, like the um, off the top of my head, the Brain Injury Alliance of America, um, 
and the National MS Society. They have great online resources. There's oftentimes a phone number that you can call for a support hotline. And whether that serves the purpose to connect you with other people just so you can have a conversation and feel like you're not alone, or even to help problem solve with um, uh, difficulties that you're finding day to day due to the, um, the social distancing measures or the pandemic. These people are there for you just the same they would have been in person. Um, and I look forward to the day that we now kind of remember all these resources that we happen to stumble upon in this time, and then we can better use them in the future. Dr. Weber, what about family members? How can they be um, supportive at this time? Oh, that's a really great question, because as, as we all know that uh, traumatic brain injury and multiple sclerosis, it, it affects a network. It affects a person, of course, directly, but it really affects the people around them as well. And making sure that the health of that network is strong is is really important. So on one hand, um, people who have uh, a loved one in the household with uh, these conditions, um, they can be critical in order to helping to recognize when the, um, the person with a TBI or MS is really struggling, whether um, that's kind of keeping an extra eye out on their mood or any sort of anxiety behaviors, or just kind of giving them a bit of more um, a positive um, affirmation in order to, to make sure that we know that we can all handle this. Um, as on the other hand, uh, family members need to take care of themselves. And, um, because being a caregiver, uh, in a household with someone with a disability is, can be challenging on a day-to-day basis. This is, this situation is probably increasing those challenges at least tenfold. So, um, in general, uh, practicing kind of Good measures for keeping one's mood stable are really going to be imperative in these these coming days. So um, both for um, people with these conditions and their family members. So that includes things like maintaining your physical health as much as possible. Um, If you have regular medications that you need to take, um, make sure that you don't run out of refills and be in contact with your doctor. A lot of pharmacies are doing delivery if needed, which is... um, very helpful. Um, also exercise. I know that, you know, if you're used to kind of, um, being more, uh, socially engaged with your exercise, this is definitely a change or going to the gym. That's largely off the table at this point, but there's a lot of online videos available. Um, a lot of, uh, websites are offering free trials, at least for the next couple of months. Um, you can take a socially distanced walk outside. I've been definitely walking my dog out in the neighborhood a lot. And even things like gardening as the, uh, the weather becomes nicer. And, um, also it's important to keep in mind, uh, nutritious meals to keep your, um, your general system functioning as well as possible and, um, revoid any sort of mood dips that might happen secondary to say things like blood sugar. Um, and sleep, sleep is important. I know it can be tempting to, uh, take these, this time at home and be a little more relaxed with the sleep schedule, but, um, this is really where you want to stay on schedule, practice good sleep hygiene and all in total, um, 
having the, the household stay on, on these sorts of good general behaviors um, can keep everyone's mood stable. And I really like the idea of uh, helping, finding an accountability partner. So having someone else keep you on track. So whether or not that's the person with uh, the TBI or MS needing these reminders to keep these behaviors uh, at the forefront, um, or, or maybe it's a kind of a, a family goal that we're all kind of keeping each other accountable to make sure that we're staying as healthy as possible um, and doing things that are positive for our mood. So this is really can be a, a team effort. So family members are critical at this point and also need to take care of themselves. So let's all do it all at the same time. Dr. Weber, what about people who can't be physically there for their families? Is there anything that they can do remotely? Oh, that is definitely um, even more challenging and, and heartbreaking, to say the least, at this point. Um, if you have a, a family member with um, a TBI or with MS, you you probably always have that feeling that if they're not right there, that you're you're wishing you can help out or that you might worry about them. So that's really going to ramp up as as we're not allowed to see those people. So that's where I'd really say schedule times to connect um, and uh, still maintain and create those bonds. This is a challenging situation for everybody. So being able to share those experiences um, can really help provide that emotional relief that, that we might be needing, even if we don't recognize it. But use whatever resources that, that you can. Um, so whether or not it's, uh, let's say, if you have a, a loved one with um, a disability in a, a different state, you know, if you can take a little bit of time to look into what resources might be local for that person. So finding, um, say, a local meal delivery service um, that might be helpful, um, that, could, that could really help ease that person's ability. Um, because it might be um, challenging for individuals with cognitive problems to be able to think creatively about these different uh, solutions that, and, um, and frankly, at this point, it's, it seems to be an all hands on deck. You know, if someone has a good idea, share it. This is, um, this has been uh, a very creative time, I think, for people to share what's been working for them and what hasn't. And being open and honest about where you're succeeding and where maybe you're failing, because not only could, does that help you yourself be able to put things in perspective and come up with new ideas that, that work better for um, solving future problems, but you may be saving someone else a little bit of grief or validating their experience as well. So being able to reach out in ways that are socially important, but also practically useful, I think are going to be really helpful in the coming weeks. These are all great suggestions, Dr. Weber. Um, I think a lot of people can will be able to relate to this. Um, I wanted to also ask about what are some behavioral and emotional changes um, you can talk about for each group? Yeah, so this is really a, a time where we need to be vigilant on being um, being aware of what we're experiencing. So things to keep an eye out for, um, in terms of depression and anxiety in particular are keeping an eye on your mood, um, feeling sad, um, 
to the point where you're um, you're feeling sad for say most of the day or for a number of days in a row. Um, also, eating and sleeping are, are always um, big indicators of how how your how your body is functioning and how your um, your emotional health is. So, if you find that you're having a lot of trouble getting out of bed in the morning. Um, and, and, or are sleeping much more than you usually did, or on the other hand, not being able to sleep, um, or, um, feeling very drowsy during the day. Um, that may be a sign that you might need some more support. Uh, same thing with appetite. If you're, um, you know, eating a whole lot or, um, or really have no appetite at all. So any of those sorts of extremes, um, are important to look, look into and, I want to at least normalize some of this, that this is a stressful time and it's really normal to be, to be feeling sad and, and having, having um, less hope for the future than you might've before, but check in with a loved one who can give a sense of if this feels like something that needs more assistance or not. So it's really a good idea to to keep those lines of communication open with other people to to see if uh, see what their their thought is on um, whether or not you might need more support. And uh, at least uh, Kessler Foundation here is is based in New Jersey, and I want to at least give um, a quick note that there is a mental health hotline for New Jersey, and I'm and across across the board, lots of states probably all states have them at this point. Um, but the mental health hotline for New Jersey is 1-866-202-HELP. And help is uh, 4357. And that's for free confidential support. Uh, they're there from eight to eight, seven days a week by trained specialists. So um, that's one example of many of these sorts of um, hotlines and online support mechanisms uh, that are available in this time. So I'd really encourage um, people to to use those if you feel like this is becoming a little bit too much for you to, to emotionally handle. Talking about support and resources, Dr. Weber, uh, what about virtual ter- therapy? Is that a method MS and TBI individuals could look into? Absolutely. And this is really an evolving territory by the day. Um, a lot, ha- a lot of um, clinicians had been folding in telemental health into their practice. And usually it's been used for um, individuals who have difficulty getting out of the house or um, are in rural areas and not really near their provider. But in the last couple of weeks, use of this has really skyrocketed. Um, of course, now there's a scramble to make sure that billing is uh, going to work so that um, that insurance providers are going to approve these services. But from what it looks like, this is becoming the new norm. So there's a lot of great online um, therapy options um, and generally going through the same process and uh, speaking with a, um, a therapist that you would, you would typically find um, whether through your insurance or through recommendations um, from your providers, those individuals are often the ones who are now converting their practice into telemental health. And the benefit there is that you're, you're not traveling. So you're um, physically as safe as possible. Um, and um, so it, it may be 
easier to provide access for people who might not have thought to get services before. Um, it does also sometimes create some challenges. So um, you want to make sure that you have access to, to a space where you feel comfortable, that you're able to discuss things with a therapist um, in, in some in sense of privacy while you're in your own home. Um, but um, in terms of overall privacy, this is something that uh, uh, the therapist and the um, health platforms have been have been working out. Um, and there's also a number of newer services that are kind of coming on board to uh, provide provide these um, uh, provide new avenues for for telemental health. So um, that would be worth looking into as well. So in summary, the COVID-19 pandemic is creating a lot of new stressful situations for for everyone. This is definitely unprecedented territory, but we really want to be mindful of how this is affecting our the populations that we at Kesta Foundation tend to work with. And today we've been highlighting um, challenges that might be experienced by people who have had a traumatic brain injury or MS. And this can be really generalized to anyone who might be experiencing some cognitive difficulties in their day-to-day -day lives. But it also sounds like there's a lot that we can now do um, to be able to mitigate these these difficulties, whether that's finding new ways to connect with people to ward off things like social isolation, depression, anxiety, thinking creatively about how to get our, our needs met, whether practically or, or um, emotionally, and um, finding new ways to be able to connect with the people who we are quarantining with. Um, this is going to be memorable at the very least, but, um, but our the populations that we tend to work with, people like with uh, TBI and MS, they they know how to overcome challenges and difficulties more than than any any of us uh, otherwise. So um, I, I really think we can work together and be able to to do this and come out on the other end of it. So thank you, Nikki, for being able to bring us together and talk about this really important uh, topic. Um, I think we've we've learned a lot, and I'm I'm glad that we were able to connect even if via webcast today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Weber. Um, you know we are all in this together. We understand that people are scared and concerned, and we hope that these resources provide a sense of uh, reassurance. Thanks to host Nikki Miller, co-host Dr. Erica Weber, and guest Dr. Helen Genova for this discussion tuned into our podcast series lately? Join our listeners in 90 countries who enjoy learning about the work of Kessler Foundation. In new episodes, our experts weigh in on the impact of COVID-19 on people living with disabilities, and they talk about how research that changes lives continues at Kessler Foundation. Check back soon to listen to more COVID-19 podcasts. Look for the link in the program notes. Listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, April 1st, 2020, remotely, and was edited and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation.